Welcome to Outdoors Radio with Dan Small, your source for the latest hunting and fishing information. Brought to you by LakeLink, your online fishing resource at lake-link.com. Outdoors Radio is also brought to you by Ducks Unlimited, a proud sponsor of Outdoors Radio and duck hunters everywhere. Ducks.org. We're also brought to you by the Castle Rock Petenwell Lakes Association. 60 square miles of fun on the water. CastleRock-Petenwell.com. And by Woodside Ranch Resort and Conference Center, WoodsideRanch.com. I'm Dan Small. Today, we'll get a Lake Michigan fishing report from Captain Dumper Dan Welch, and we'll talk to wild foods expert Sam Thayer about his new book, Sam Thayer's Field Guide to Wild Edible Plants. All that and more coming up on Outdoors Radio, so stay right there. It's time now for Madison Outdoors, and you hear this feature every week at this time on Fox Sports 1070, WTSO, and anytime at all on our podcast on LakeLink, iHeartRadio, OutdoorNews.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Joining us once again is Pat Hasberg, proprietor of DNS Bait Tackle and Fly Shop on Northport Drive in Madison. His website is dsbait.com. You can also find him on Facebook at DNS Bait Tackle and Fly Shop. And he posts a weekly fishing report there every Friday morning. So check it out before you head out on the Madison Chain or other area lakes and rivers. Well, Pat, welcome back and uh, thanks for joining us again. Hey, Dan. It's always a pleasure to be here. Now, how was opening weekend? I'll bet you were pretty busy. Oh, geez. Yeah. Busy maybe even isn't the word for it. We were... We were slammed here. Had a lot of folks come through the door, and of course, you know, that's to be expected. I'm obviously not complaining. A lot of folks getting out, and a lot of fish being caught. Good. Well, what are you hearing? What, what's the hottest uh, bite right now? I guess with panfish and catfish and then the early season bass already being open, the biggest thing that folks are really looking forward to, at least around Madison, is the walleye fishing. Yeah. And we've got some fantastic walleyes, especially on Lake Mendota, but also Monona. So a lot of folks out chasing those and finding them shallow. Uh, of course, had some musky folks through that were excited to get out and chase muskies again. Some pike anglers, too, and stuff like that. But walleye is really the, the, the main uh, pursuit here in town, especially opening weekend. And you say shallow. So what are we talking, 10 feet? 10 feet or less, yep. I've heard about walleyes, big walleyes, coming out of two feet of water mm-hmm. around town. So mm-hmm. I may have mentioned in previous recording that we did, the bass guys have been complaining they can't keep the walleyes off their line, which is always kind of funny to hear. It's great for folks to be getting back out and, and getting walleyes, and they're still getting them shallow. I'd say, you know, I'd maybe move it out to like 15 feet or, or so of water now with things starting to warm up with this nice weather we've had, but uh, definitely still a shallow water game. And using what, live bait? A lot of live bait. Folks get them on cranks, jigging. I was talking to a guy today who was getting them on crawler harnesses already. Hmm. So all of the above really has been working for pretty much everyone. And Mendota's or the other lakes as well? Most of what I hear from is is on Mendota. It's just a fantastic walleye fishery on that lake. Of course, there are walleyes on all the other lakes. Uh, Monona has, uh, I'd say, maybe a little better size structure, but the numbers aren't quite there. And then the same thing for Wabisa. And as you head down the chain, Kiganza is sort of a mystery to some folks, but they do get good walleyes down there if you know how to find them. Yeah, that's what we hear. Kiganza, the mystery lake. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, and speaking of other K lakes, do you hear anything from Kashkanong? 
You know, I haven't heard a lot. Uh, they were dealing with a lot of high water down there for a while. Okay. Uh, the Rock River was up real high. It's come down now uh, and is much more fishable. I hear about a lot of short walleyes up near the Blackhawk Island area where the rock dumps in there. But, you know, I, I haven't heard a ton out of there. And, and the walleyes I was hearing about getting caught were a lot of short fish. Still some good fish down there. It's a great walleye lake, really. Yeah. Is it too early for white bass on Mendota? Yes. Okay. I, I would say on Mendota, yes. Uh, I am hearing about white bass in some of the current areas. So up here on the north side at the 113 Bridge area, they've been getting white bass in there for two weeks now. Down on the Rock River at the Jefferson Dam and Indian Ford, they've been getting white bass there in rivers and on the Wisconsin River. Up and down the Wisconsin River, they're getting white bass at, at a lot of the dams. The white bass bite on Mendota doesn't happen until uh, mid-June or something when they're out trolling in Warner Bay and you're just catching them one after another because yep. they're all schooled up. That's a that's more of a mid-June, close to 4th of July type bite. Yeah, yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah, I fished it only once or twice. I, I fished with Lee Kernan many years ago. We did a show for Outdoor Wisconsin. We were trolling, I don't know, little white spinner rigs or something like that probably, mm -hmm. and we caught them. Yeah. Yeah, it can be a really great time. I take my boys out there. We try to get out at least once every year for that white bass run on Mendota, and it can really be great, just one after another. And, yeah, anything shiny and white or chartreuse just seems to really do great things for those white bass. Yeah, they are fun to catch, and they're good eating, too, if you put them on ice right away. That's right. Now, you mentioned the Wisconsin River. The water level has come down, I would imagine. Is it doing all right? Is it fishable? Yeah, it's funny. It's been going up and down, but it's that's dictated by the amount of rain we're getting up north or snow melt or whatever the reason might be, but it has been going up and down. But I, last I checked, it was at seasonal levels here, and folks are doing great. Well, they were getting walleyes and saugers at the dams. Like I said, the white bass have been in there now. Smallmouth are starting to hit, so, you know, it's a great time to be on the river. Well, how about trout streams? Well, how much time do you got? I can watch all <laughs> I know long, you can. But. Well, have you been out? I guess that's my first question. Yeah, I was out uh, this last weekend. I made it down to, I was cruising around some of my old stomping grounds near Blanchardville, which is just southwest of Madison here a Sure. Um, checking out a few creeks, kind of bridge hopping, looking at holes, looking for rising fish. And I found some fish. Uh, they were coming up to caddis flies. I didn't catch any monsters, nothing really to write home about, but... Gosh, it's just such a great time of year to be out there, and, you know, it's coolish weather-wise. There's no bugs. The grass is, you know, you don't got to deal with nettles or parsnip or any of, any of that stuff. So it's just a great time to be out. And, you know, the, the, the thing I always tell people is uh, trout live in beautiful places. So even if you're not catching fish, you're just out there in a great spot and enjoying being outside. Yes, and the nettle and parsnip are about knee-high, which is a good place for them. And, and if you're into foraging wild foods, um, actually on this week's show, I've got Sam Thayer on who has written many books on foraging, and we talk about nettles and parsnip, and they're both good to eat if you know how to harvest them and, and not get uh, not get hurt by their stingers or their sap in the case of the parsnip. Yeah, I've had nettles. Just thinking about eating parsnip just makes me. I, I, I believe it can be done. I just am not. <laughs> I'm not there yet. I don't think. Well, it's the root for the wild parsnip, uh, cow parsnip. You can eat the stem. You actually peel it, and I guess you steam it or boil it. But I haven't tried oh. that. Maybe, maybe later this year. I don't know. 
Well, I know you're also a turkey hunter, and before we started recording, you mentioned you've had a couple of close encounters so far this year. Yeah, close encounters, but I wasn't able to feel the deal. I was in the head first season and was dealing with some cold, windy weather. The few times I can get away from the shop, that's the other thing is my time is limited for getting out. But, you know, I was out the first season, and I honestly didn't hear much gobbling. I saw a few birds a long ways away that just weren't interested. I had a bonus tag for third season, and... Gosh, it was just blazing hot, and then a cold front came in and turned the turkeys on. I was very optimistic. I was hearing gobbles. Had a tom up in a field, and he had hens with him, and then he had also had four jakes that were just harassing him to no end. I would call, and they would kind of look down my way, but they were just too preoccupied between the jakes and the hens. Nobody was nobody was coming down to check out what I was doing. Yeah, that's often the way it is with turkey hunting, as we all know. Yeah. Well, before we let you go, anything going on we should know? Well, uh, the Yahara Fishing Club has got their Kids Fishing Day coming up here June 3rd on the north side of Madison, right here at the Warner Park Shelter. It's right in the backyard of the shop here. And that's just a great event. The, uh, the Yahara Fishing Club has been around doing great things for fishing in the Madison area for many, many years. And they host this every spring, and they do one in the winter for ice fishing, but this is their spring uh, version. Uh, anybody that shows up, 14 and under, can get a free rod and reel, bait, and then instruction from members who volunteer. They even do hot dogs and sodas uh, for lunches. And gosh, it's just a great time. If you got a kid that you're thinking about getting into fishing or would like to check it out, you can swing by there. It goes on from 9 to noon on June 3rd. And it's right here on the north side of Madison at the Warner Park Shelter. Great event. Great, great group of folks. Do great yeah. things for fishing in Madison. And you have information if people want more uh, more info than what you've just provided? That's right, yeah. They can, they can call here to the shop. They could go on the Yahara Fishing Club website. They have a website. It's, I, I believe it's yaharafishingclub.org. So, uh, yeah, lots of ways to find out more information about that. But, yeah, anybody who wants to call the shop, happy to point them in the right direction. All righty. Well, Pat, thanks again, as always, for a great report. Hang in there. I know you'll survive this busy season, but that's a good thing in your business. It's a very good thing. And, it's yeah, it makes for a long day. It's uh, what we need to keep the doors open. There so. you go. All right. We'll talk to you again. Thanks so much, Dan. You bet. That was Pat Hasberg, proprietor of DNS Bait Tackle and Fly Shop on Northport Drive in Madison. His website is dsbait.com. You can find him and his fishing report posted every Friday morning on Facebook at DNS Bait Tackle and Fly Shop. I'm Dan Small. You are listening to Outdoors Radio. If you're ever in a motor vehicle accident, call Hupe and Abraham, named Best Personal Injury Law Firm by the Wisconsin Law Journal year after year. The firm of Hupe and Abraham has collected more than a billion dollars for its clients. In fact, they collect millions of dollars every month for hundreds of satisfied clients. So call the firm voted best and rated best, Hupe and Abraham. 800-800-5678 or visit hupe.com and all 11 offices of Hupe and Abraham in Wisconsin, Iowa, and Illinois are open for business. And the firm of Hupe and Abraham has paid thousands of dollars in rewards to help solve crimes. Michael Hupe is the president of Milwaukee Crime Stoppers and he's offering a $25,000 reward for the next anonymous tip that solves a homicide case. So if you've got a tip on an unsolved homicide case, visit MilwaukeeCrimestoppers.com. Jeff Kelm is a busy guy this week. He's running two walleye tournaments over on Lake Winnebago. He'll be back next week to tell us all about them.
and I'm turkey hunting up in Zone 4 this week. I can't reveal the exact location much as I would like to. All I can say is a friend's land somewhere in the hill country of Dunn County. My hunt Wednesday morning was pretty successful. I went out with Dave Roll, our videographer, who does the deer hunt show with me, and we heard one gobble. We set up a Jake decoy and a hen decoy, but we did it in a hurry because that bird was close, and the tree I picked actually was in a spot where I could not see the decoys because there was a berm of earth along this trail that was right between me and the decoys. So I sat there, and the bird gobbled one more time, so I didn't dare go out and move the decoys. But Dave picked the tree a little behind me and to the left where he could see the hen decoy at any rate. Well, pretty soon this tom comes down the hill out of the woods. I didn't see it until it got almost to the decoys, and all I saw was the white head, so I knew there was a tom there. The bird disappeared behind the berm, and pretty soon we hear it beating up the jake decoy. It ignored the hen totally, went to the jake decoy, attacked it three or four times, and I'm shaking my head like, why was I so quick in setting up that decoy and so dumb as to set it where I couldn't see the decoy? And Dave couldn't see the decoy either that the bird was attacking. Dave made a couple of quiet clucks, and then he scratched in the leaves to simulate a bird feeding. And pretty soon this bird peeks its head around this berm, and I shot it. It turned out to be a jake, pretty precocious jake, because it attacked this jake decoy like it was a big boss. Dave had known it was a jake all along because the gobble was not that full, lusty gobble of a mature gobbler, but kind of a half-hearted gobble. I somehow spaced that fact. I probably would have shot it anyway, but I sure would have liked to get it on tape attacking that decoy. I'm sure you've seen videos of turkeys attacking decoys. Well, we had an opportunity, a golden opportunity to get that, and we blew it. Well, it's been five years since I took a group to Ballard's Black Island Resort up on Lake of the Woods, but I'm going again this year now that Canada has opened back up to American visitors. The dates are September 11 through 15. We'll spend four nights on Black Island with three full days of guided fishing. We'll catch walleyes, smallmouths, maybe some perch and crappies, northerns, and maybe a muskie or two. This is a complete package. Guides, boats, Bait, tackle, lodging, everything is included, and the meals are great. The lodge serves great breakfasts and dinners, and will enjoy shore lunches of fresh walleyes that the guides prepare. The trip is limited to just 13 people in all, and my son John and I are going, and you could join us if you want. The cost is $1,500 per person. Some folks from the Stormy Cromer Company will be joining us, and they'll be bringing Stormy Cromer gifts for everyone on the trip. So it just keeps getting better. It's going to be a great opportunity. Visit blackisland.com to learn more or to reserve a spot. The deadline for this trip is May 31st, so we got another 10 days or so. Don't delay if you're interested. And some people have been concerned about traveling to Canada since the border was closed during the COVID pandemic, but the folks at Black Island tell me the good news is the closure has been lifted. Americans are free to travel to and from Canada. All you need to cross the border is a current passport. So check your passport, call Black Island Resort, check it out online, 
blackisland.com if you're interested. I hope that you can join us. Well, coming up, wild foods expert Sam Thayer talks about his new book and offers advice for harvesting wild edible plants this time of year. Captain Dumper Dan Welch will kick things off with another report on May fishing action on Lake Michigan. And let me tell you this, it's really hopping right now. All that and more straight ahead on Outdoors Radio. Attention anglers, don't miss St. Croix Rod's annual Customer Appreciation Day on Saturday, June 17th in Park Falls, Wisconsin. St. Croix Rods is celebrating its 75th anniversary of handcrafting the best rods on earth, and you're invited to the party. Attend seminars with top St. Croix pros, get special pricing on retired or B-stock rods, and participate in hourly giveaways. It all happens live on Saturday, June 17th. See details at stcroixrodsfactorystore.com. For the nonprofit Ruffed Grouse Society, the well-being of the Ruffed Grouse and American Woodcock is a special priority. But the Society's conservation work benefits more than just these two game birds. The organization's programs help a long list of other young forest wildlife, including songbirds that must have thick, brushy habitat to survive. For more information about forest wildlife habitat management, contact the Ruffed Grouse Society toll-free at 888-JOIN. RGS. Here's a message from our friends at Remy Battery in Milwaukee, Escanaba, and Houghton. We at Remy Battery Company want to thank all of our customers and friends we have made over the past 90-plus years and your continued support of our local, family-owned company. Stop in and see the expertise of over nine decades of battery knowledge and customer service. Let us take care of the batteries for all of your needs, from power tools to sump pumps and ATVs to hunting decoys, even down to the smallest hearing aids. Big and small, we have them all. Stop in for a free battery and electrical check before you hit the road, trails, or waters. Don't forget to ask your sales representatives about volume pricing. Call Remy at 414-384-0340 or visit online at remybattery.com for all your battery and battery accessory needs. Enjoy the ultimate shooting experience at the Range of Richfield, your one-stop shop for all shooters. Just north of the Richfield Cabela's store on Helson Drive, the Range of Richfield offers 12 state-of-the-art 25-yard indoor shooting lanes for all pistol and common rifle loads. Classes in home defense, basic handgun and concealed carry, a retail shop, trophy mount display, and more in a welcoming, family-friendly setting. Open daily except Monday to the public and members. Your ultimate shooting experience, therangewi.com. Welcome back to your source for the latest hunting and fishing information. Outdoors Radio with Dan Small. Welcome back to Outdoors Radio. I'm Dan Small. Thanks for joining us again. And it is time for another Lake Michigan Fishing Report for the Sheboygan area, sponsored by Dumper Dan's Sport Fishing Charters, Condos, and Riverfront Store, right there on South Pier Drive along the river in Sheboygan and on the web at DumperDan.com. He's also got a Facebook page, Dumper Dan's Sport Fishing Charters, and that's where he posts every week this interview along with some photos so you can see the latest action what's going on also brought to you this week by dave's who's in at 835 indiana avenue in sheboygan and on facebook at dave's who's in joining us once again as always captain dumper dan welch himself dan welcome back thanks for joining us well, thank you, Dan. Great to be back. And I'll tell you what, Dan, it's it's been a really exciting 
month of May. Been very busy here on the lakeshore and a lot of things going on. How are the cohos? Are they back? They are back, and like you just mentioned too, check out our Facebook page. We had Midwest Outdoors Television here filming a few days ago, and we hit the cohos really well, Dan. It was an action-packed show. Uh, they're editing um, it now, and it will be on television, FSN, Fox Sports North, the Pursuit Channel. It'll cover the whole Midwest um, Memorial Day weekend, so it will be um, on television for everybody to view. I will post it on Facebook shortly after that if you would miss the show, but I'll tell you, Dan, it was fun. We we had 23 cohos for over 45 fish on. It was unbelievable. Wow. Now, that's unusual to lose that many, isn't it? Uh, cohos and rainbow, not so much. They fight, you know, they're real scrappy fish, and they're always moving around and, and jumping and splashing. And, yeah, we had a hard time hooking them right away, and then it seemed like after a while they were hooking up a little better. But what happens, Dan, is that we were fishing right out in the Sheboygan Harbor, right out in front of the harbor. We're working north and south, and every time we go through the stand mud water of the Sheboygan River water that's coming out into Lake Michigan, we would get hooked up um, on coho. So every pass we'd, you know, get three, four, five bites, and we would get about half of them in. And that, that's kind of normal, to be honest with you. And we still hooked quite a few and, and brought 23, you know, back to the fish rack, and it, it was fun. It's going to be a great show. I can't wait to see it. I mean, we had a ball with this show, and, and cohos are just, you know, when you get on them, Dan, like you've done with me in the past it's just non-stop action a lot of fun yeah it certainly is I, I enjoy catching them actually eating them probably more than catching them but they're they're my favorite fish to eat so i'm glad they're in and what were they hitting was this spoons or dodgers and flies or what dodgers and flies you'll see it on the tv show little red like fire engine red dodgers which is like a flasher that flashes in the water with a peanut fly behind it and then the fish comes in and hits the fly it's a green fly red flasher dodger combination we were running flashers too uh, spin doctor flashers and then metal dodgers with the peanut fly behind it we're running a bunch of them planer boards slide divers downriggers we did have some spoons out too they did take some fish as well but the combination of flasher fly or dodger fly was the way to go for these coho and there's a lot of bait fish down along the whole shoreline especially in the stained river water of the sheboygan harbor there is a big temp change there warmer water that's what draws the bait in and that's what draws the coho in and they're just uh, feeding machines i mean they come in to devour the alewife and, and hit our tackle when we're there to catch them how long will this coho action hold up do you think well, it varies every year, Dan, and that's a great question because we never know. I know a lot of the other ports are catching them as well right now, which is a good sign that our port will continue to get them because we're kind of on the north end of this migration of coho from the south end of the lake moving northbound. So I, I think we'll have them here quite some time yet. Normally we catch them well into June. They're here early, so water temps are 49 to 51 degrees, which is warmer than normal for this time of year. So I think they're going to be here a while, and, and they'll spread out off the shoreline and head out to deeper water but then we'll target them along with other species as we troll into June. Now if people want to fish from the piers or with their own boats is there any chance to get in on that coho action? Yeah there is in fact the boat landings have been busy here at Port of Sheboygan um, a lot of guys going out and doing it on their own easy access you're fishing 20 to 40 feet of water you're right by the lighthouse, you're down by the power plant, North Point, 
So you're close to shore, and the shore anglers, too, on like the north and south break wall, can cast spoons off the pier and catch them, too. So access for everybody from boat to shore to pier for these coho salmon this time of year, and it's a treat. We don't see them all that much in like July, August, and then they come in the spawn in September after the Chinook salmon come in the spawn, so we see them again in the late fall. But this time of year, you want to get out here from middle of May till all the way through the later part of June and take part of this action because I've always said the coho salmon are the filet mignon of Lake Michigan fish or bright red meat and they're very good to eat. I agree with you 100% on that, Dan. And I imagine you have some openings if people want to go out with you? We do. Uh, we're taking bookings every day and my phone number is the best way to get a hold of me so I can customize your fishing package the way you want. We do run five, six, and eight-hour trips daily. Obviously, you know, we have the condos on the riverfront. If you need lodging, you want to put this into a two- or three-day package, we can do that. Or if you want to just come out and fish a half a day, we can do that. 920-377-1147 is my cell number, dumperdan.com on the Internet. Also, check out our Facebook page. This audio video report we're doing right now will be on our Facebook page here shortly once we get that up and running so you can check out the pictures of the TV show. I, I did submit them. And you'll see them, and you can see some of the pictures of the show. Yeah, great. Well, Dan, I understand there was some rocket event going on on Mother's Day weekend? Yeah, students from all over Wisconsin put these rockets together, and they come down to Blue Harbor. They have big displays in the conference center. Very neat event. And this year they asked us to retrieve these rockets out of the water. As they shoot them off the South Pier, they land in the Lake Michigan. So two of my Dumper Dan boats did do that for them. It was an all-day event. It's always the day before Mother's Day on that Saturday. A lot of fun. And rockets going up in the air in a very, very professional setup. It's called Spaceport Sheboygan, and they've been doing that for years. Well, that sounds like a lot of fun. Spaceport Sheboygan. Okay. We'll uh, look forward to that again next year. Yeah, they have it every year, and we're going to be chase boats again for picking up these rockets. Lakeshore is very busy, so come on down and, and take in on the event, and they have beverages, snacks, and, and all sorts of things set up at Blue Harbor Resort for this spaceport, Sheboygan. Well, our second sponsor this week is Dave's Who's In. That's a familiar name for folks who've listened to us for years. 835 Indiana Avenue, right down the pier from you, actually, right? Yeah, it is. It's right down the pier from me. You can see Dave's who's in right from my condos and my docks, really. I'm just a hop, skip, and a jump right across 8th Street, and you're right there to Dave's. And great menu. Uh, they have lunch. They have dinner. They are open for lunch and dinner. Great menu. Many pool tables. In fact, I shoot league there in the winter for Dave, and he has a lot of pool tables, dartboards, miniature bowling. Uh, a lot of people take in on that, too. So, Stopping at Dave's Who's In when you're in town, great place to stop to have something to eat, something to drink, and a little bit of entertainment as well. All right. Well, Dan, we'll talk to you again soon. Sounds good, Dan. We'll be here. Thanks a lot. You bet. Dumper Dan Welsh with the Lake Michigan Report from Sheboygan. His website, DumperDan.com, on Facebook, Dumper Dan Sport Fishing Charters, and his phone number is 920-377-1147. I'm Dan Small. You are listening to Outdoors Radio. Listen to more Outdoors Radio online at dansmalloutdoors.com. Welcome back to Outdoors Radio with Dan Small.
Outdoors Radio. I'm Dan Small. Spring is a great time to forage for wild edibles, and there's a brand new book out to help beginners and old hands figure out what wild plants are safe to eat, when to gather them, and how to prepare them. The author is a fellow we've had on the show a number of times before, Sam Thayer, and the book is Sam Thayer's Guide to Edible Wild Plants of Eastern and Central North America. His website is foragersharvest.com, and he joins us now from his home near Bruce, Wisconsin. Well, Sam, thanks for joining us, and welcome back to the Outdoors Radio Network. It's always a pleasure to be on the air with you and uh, talking to your listeners. Well, Sam, your book boldly states this is the most comprehensive guide ever written to the edible wild plants of this region, and it contains more than twice as many plants as the Peterson Guide that we all know and have used. Uh, it's a tremendous book. Most field guides are small and compact and very incomplete. Yours is just amazing. I think it weighs about three pounds. It's going to be a pleasure to carry, but it's going to be an addition to the backpack when one goes foraging. Yeah, you're almost exactly right on the weight. I think it's just about precisely three pounds. And, you know, the the size is a little bit deceiving because you would have to have four or five other books to replace it. So when you think of it that way, I guess it's pretty small. Yeah. Now, you, you've got 700, give or take, edible species, 2,000 color photos. How long did it take you to put this together? I know you've been working on it for a while. Well, you know, it's kind of uh, my life's work, but just as far as the research and putting the book together... It was full-time for seven to eight years. And you've written several other guides. In the meantime, were you doing this as you were writing those as well? I started work on this in 2010, right after my daughter was born. Then I stopped for a few years to build our house. Then I worked on it for a few years. Then I stopped for maybe a year and a half to do my book, Incredible Wild Edibles. And then I just dove fully into this for the last five years or so. The last 16 months was really difficult because I set a deadline for this spring and I was going to meet it. <laughs> well, and you did. I got my copy, gosh, what, about a week ago now. And there's a photo uh, on your website of you unloading a large mm, truck full of books. And I understand you've been shipping them out probably for the last couple of weeks. Yeah, you know, half the first printing is sold already. I probably didn't print enough. I have, a, other, I have more coming. And uh, hopefully there's not a, a hiatus there in the availability, but um, because half of that first printing is, is already sold. And obviously it's selling well, and people have been waiting for it. You have a lot of followers on your Facebook and on your website, and in your public presentations, you do a number of talks and uh, walks as well um, through the, the fields and woods at different times of year. Are you still doing that now this year? I have, uh, I'm doing more this year than I have for the past several years. I think I have one coming up next weekend at the Sioux Ginseng Farm in Wausau, but unfortunately it's already filled. If someone wants to check my website, there's other events coming up. We have two more events in June, and I think maybe one more in May, but our registration hasn't opened yet, so there's, there's still more availability. Okay, and that website again, folks, is foragersharvest.com. Well, let's dive into the book, Sam. I, I have not had a chance. I'm not going to read it from cover to cover, obviously, but I haven't had a chance to do too much with it 
because I'm kind of up to my ears with golden oyster mushrooms right now and wild nettle, uh, stinging nettle and, and parsnip, and that's kind of what we do in the spring. But how is the book organized for folks who are thinking about getting a copy? I've divided plants into 38 different groups by their physical form. So by answering three to six fairly basic questions about the plant, you should be able to place it in one of those groups. For example, broadleaf shrubs with red berries. One would be, you know, deciduous trees with nuts. So they're somewhat intuitive groups that many people would recognize. Other ones are a little more complicated, like no basal leaves, square stem, paired leaves, and a minty scent. But again, these are patterns that are fairly easy to recognize. And then there's a herbaceous vine. It'll take a user a little time to figure out how to navigate to those groups. There's a listing of the groups in the beginning with a key to answer the questions and get to your, your final group. And if you don't like using a key, there's just a list of the groups. And then you can turn to that page. And then each group has anywhere between 4 and 40 plants, which if you have to page through 40 pages or 20 pages, it's not nearly such a project as paging through a 700 page book. And then this is to get to your tentative identification of your plant. So I've designed it so that I could try to answer for the reader two questions simultaneously, which is, what is that plant and can I eat it? It only has edible plants in it. If the plant that you are looking up is not an edible plant, it's just not going to match. You know, you might get to the right group. It'll fit one of the 38 groups. But when you look through that group and look at the pictures and read descriptions, there are going to be ways that your plant doesn't match. And you'll have to say, oh, I guess it's not in here. So that's the basic layout for how the book works. So I was looking through the key as you were describing some of those categories. And, yes, yeah, some of them are intuitive, and they're all pretty clear as to how you distinguish ferns from trees, from things with edible tubers and that. And, you know, that's a good way for people who don't, know too much about foraging and nobody knows as much as you even the the great yule gibbons some people still remember him stalking the wild asparagus was one of his books and you know that's how i got started looking into foraging other than just picking things and eating them or following other people's advice but you also have an innovative system for identifying plants in the field at their edible season can you tell us how that works First of all, I've got to say Yule Gibbons is one of my heroes, love his books, helped me get into foraging more than anybody else as a child, and I still refer to his books frequently, so absolutely love Yule Gibbons still. If you're to pick a book like, say, Newcomb's Wildflower Guide, which is a great book for learning your wildflowers, especially for the non-botanist, but it's going to focus on identifying those plants at the time when they're blooming, and that's, of course, when they're in the herbarium. Uh, and that's all the technical literature on plant identification is based on the moment that they are blooming or producing fruit or both. But the time that you eat a plant is most often not at its blooming or fruiting stage. For woody plants, it's the fruit usually that you eat. But for the herbaceous plants that are, are the majority, it's not. And so how do you identify it at that stage? And that's why I start with kind of the body of the plant where the leaves are, how the leaves are arranged, whether or not there's basal leaves and what the stalks do. And then when you actually get you know, to the point where you look up the plant in this book, there's going to be multiple good color photos, and they will generally show the flowers also, but they're going to show at least one photo of it at that stage at which you eat it. 
which might be when it's younger, and then there's going to be a thorough description of the edible parts at the stage where you eat them. And that's information that actually you can't find, for a lot of these plants, you can't find it anywhere else because none of the technical professional botany manuals have that info because they're, you know, they're all based on the mature plants and it's most of it's not been put into print. It's not like you can Google it and Google whether or not a caraway stalk is hollow at the base when it's young. There's, you know, kind of a set of information that's particular to foragers that you'll find here in the plant descriptions. And I tell people, I learned some plants that took me years to learn. I may have spent hours and hours. So if you've got to sit down for 40 minutes and carefully read this description and match it to the plant that you have and make sure it's the right thing, that might seem like that's kind of a long time, but it's not in the big scheme of things. Because once you do that once successfully with that plant and you're positive you have the right plant, you're going to have it for the rest of your life. And then you go to the process of recognition, like when you recognize a wild blackberry or a blueberry. You don't trouble over identity anymore. And you can get that way with every single plant in this book. I know that because I have. You've done that yourself. And Sam, we're just getting into what some people might be able to forage now. And we've got to take a break. Can you stay with us and we'll come back and keep going on this conversation? Absolutely. Folks, I'm talking with Sam Thayer. He is a forager, and he has a website called foragersharvest.com, and he has a brand-new book out, Sam Thayer's Field Guide to Edible Wild Plants of Eastern and Central North America. And we'll be back to talk to Sam more about what we can be finding right now in our woods and fields right after this. I'm Dan Small. You're listening to Outdoors Radio. Castle Rock and Petenwell are two of Wisconsin's largest inland lakes. With more than 60 square miles of water, they offer four seasons of outdoor fun. Halfway between the Twin Cities and Chicago, and just minutes from Wisconsin Rapids and the Dells, you'll enjoy family-friendly resorts and campgrounds, great fishing, bike trails, county, state, and national parks, and the Nesita National Wildlife Refuge. Learn more at castlerock-petenwell.com or on Facebook at Castle Rock Petenwell Lakes Association. Flow has made world-class recreational and utility trailers for 40 years, and the industry-leading innovations keep on coming. Choose an all-aluminum UT model or Cargo Max, the only utility trailer with a molded polymer bed, integrated sides, and an engineered aluminum frame. With either one, you'll know you don't have just any old trailer. If a new trailer is on your mind, check out floeintl.com. Flow trailers, where the rubber meets the road. Are you looking for that perfect Northwoods destination for outdoor recreation? Florence County has over 200,000 acres of uncrowded public land with 160 plus miles of beautiful ATV UTV trails, many lakes and rivers to fish or paddle, seven wild river waterfalls to explore, horse trails with campgrounds, and friendly bars and restaurants. Go to exploreflorencecounty.com and plan your trip today. Attention all anglers, stay ahead of the crowds with the most up-to-date and accurate fishing reports from around the region with OutdoorNews.com. Complete with lake maps and reports, gear reviews, and pro tips, it's the nation's top site for modern anglers. During the month of May, you can get 50% off any membership to OutdoorNews.com and never miss the best fishing info again. Just use the code MAY23 at checkout to instantly up your fishing game. Visit OutdoorNews.com today. 
Enjoy the ultimate shooting experience at the Range of Richfield, your one-stop shop for all shooters. Just north of the Richfield Cabela's store on Helson Drive, the Range of Richfield offers 12 state-of-the-art 25-yard indoor shooting lanes for all pistol and common rifle loads. Classes in home defense, basic handgun and concealed carry, a retail shop, trophy mount display, and more in a welcoming, family-friendly setting. Open daily except Monday to the public and members. Your ultimate shooting experience, therangewi.com. Welcome back to your source for the latest hunting and fishing information. Outdoors Radio with Dan Small. Welcome back to Outdoors Radio. I'm Dan Small. I'm talking with Sam Thayer, a well-known, internationally known forager and author on wild edible plants and the author of a brand new book, a comprehensive, probably the definitive guide to edible wild plants in eastern North America. It's called Sam Thayer's Field Guide to Edible Wild Plants of Eastern and Central North America. And we were just getting into talking about what we could harvest right now. And Sam, mid-May... I mentioned nettles and golden oysters. A lot of people look for morels right now. What are you harvesting this time of year? Well, those things, for sure, we've been picking, but we've been harvesting so much the last few days because my wife and I have been eating all wild for a week, just kind of for the fun of it. Um, so we've been eating a lot of wood nettle, um, which is like stinging nettle, but I like the stalks even a little bit better, just steamed, uh, you know, when they're still tender enough that you can snap them easily. Um, we've been, we've been uh, collecting anise root hmm. stalks. And I made a new dessert yesterday from anise root stalks where I chopped them small and I mixed them with blueberries and a little bit of maple syrup. And we made a, a dessert out of that and it was fabulous. So they have a, I hate black licorice. But anise root stalks have this faint licorice flavor, uh-huh. um, which is actually good because it's mild, and um, I just I love them. We've been having a lot of dandelion greens fried. Um, you know, it's you take an, you could use ramps, or you could use um, onions and fry that uh, for a few minutes, and then throw in your dandelion leaves till they're wilted down quite a bit. And fantastic. You just one of the tricks is use the upper half of the dandelion leaf. Don't use the whole leaf. And get them early when they aren't too tough. You know, not much longer than now. You know, later they're going to be getting tougher. Oh, there's so many things. The Virginia water leaf. Leaves are almost too old for being perfect, but the stalks are good right now. I'm just literally walking around barefoot looking at different stuff that's ready to gather. Thistle stalks are starting to come up. And, you know, you have to peel them, get the thorns off. But once you peel a thistle and it's innocuous, the stalk is tender and delicious and all the different species have slightly different flavors, but every one of them is good. So that's something that we're just starting to collect now. I will have to try that. We've got a sheep in a pasture, and I move the sheep from paddock to paddock, and I try to keep the thistle under control by digging the uh, young thistle. It's a biennial before it goes to flower, and, of course, I always miss some, and uh, then I'm dealing with the... Uh, with the seed heads, uh, but I've never tried eating them. But uh, you mentioned nettle, and, and I mentioned nettle. We like wood nettle. Uh, we haven't found any, but then I don't look for it other than right here on our property. We've got a lot of stinging nettle, and wood nettle was our favorite when we lived over in Ozaki County, and it's one of the most nutritious plants 
around, isn't it? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the wood nettle, I don't know that it's been analyzed, but the stinging nettle has. They're probably very similar, extremely high in iron and several other mineral nutrients. And you just feel so good after you eat a bunch of wild leafy greens. And people don't realize that wild leafy greens really are, are higher quality than stuff you can buy in the store. They're, they're more tender because they are not bred to kind of hold this shelf life. So the season is shorter, and you can't really buy them. But when you do get them, they're, they're higher quality. So they're better all the way around, you know, it, nutritionally and flavor-wise. And they're, of course, fresher if you pick them today and eat them tonight. Uh, I use a pair of scissors and uh, some long-sleeve rubber field dressing gloves, and I uh, then I am not bothered by the nettle stingers, you know, and I just nip off uh, about a 100 little fresh tops and uh, steam those for, you know, breakfast, uh, lunch, dinner. We, we just steam them and put a little uh, drawn butter on them, and it's delicious. Yeah, and it sounds like I could eat at your house and, and feel at home. <laughs> we do that a lot, too, and, and uh, I mean, it's hard to go wrong. This, this weekend, my son had a friend over. He wanted to eat nettles, and he said, and he had never had nettles. He hadn't had much wild food. And we served him a dinner 100% wild food. Everything was wild. The salmon, I didn't catch. But everything else, you know, we harvested ourselves. He was blown away. There were so many things he had never tried. You know, we had hickory nut milk, uh, which we have year-round because we store the nuts. Another thing that's coming up statewide right now is cow parsnip. Okay. Um, and, and cow parsnip has been used all over the northern hemisphere by traditional cultures. And the, the best part is the flower stalk. Um, and if you break that at the base and you peel the outer skin, cow parsnip is sort of like celery, but it's much more tender. And the flavor has this sweetness and uh, maybe a little bit of a lemony aspect that celery doesn't have. But it's great in soups. And if you peel the stalks, some people like them like rhubarb just dipped in a little bit of sugar and it's easy to identify but it's also similar to several other plants that have that kind of umbrella like white flower like giant hogweed isn't it yeah so i mean a lot of people advise to stay away from the carrot family because there are there are our most toxic plants are in the carrot family however cow parsnip is very distinct within the carrot family because of its giant ruffled three-part leaves and uh, giant hogweed looks a lot like cow parsnip. Giant hogweed is actually edible in exactly the same ways as cow parsnip, but it's uh, generally not found in Wisconsin. There's a very few you know, occurrences uh, where it's been found here. But with every member of the carrot family, it's important not to get that juice on your skin in the sunlight. And celery also causes severe rashes like parsnip, cow parsnip, angelica, hogweed, all of those, you know, can cause a rash if you get the juice on your skin. So do you gather them with gloves? Um, how do you do it? I, I don't gather them with gloves. You know, really, once you know that you need to keep the juice off your skin, it's, it's not that hard to be careful enough to prevent it from being a problem. Mm -hmm. If I was to accidentally get some juice on my skin, then I would just rinse it off pretty quickly. Yeah. But once you're aware of it, it's not commonly a problem. You did a lot of hands-on research, field research for this book. Were there any real surprises in your research? There was a lot of them. So I ate every single plant that is in this book. I didn't necessarily eat every single edible part. I tried to, but there's one that I missed. But there were some things that were obscure. In the, in the literature, there was 
it, it was hard to find out about them. I couldn't find any evidence of anybody having eaten them. And then when I actually tried them, I was like, this is incredibly good. I cannot believe that nobody knows about this and we don't talk about this. It goes to show how close we are to losing some of these food traditions. There's probably about 70 to 80 plants in the field guide that there isn't really any information about them as food anywhere other than some very obscure reference in some very old literature. I would imagine many, if not most, of the wild edible plants were traditionally used by Native Americans, and so in the cultures where the memory of those foods still exists, I would imagine that'd be a great resource. Native American food traditions is the single most important source of information that has fed into uh, my field guide and, and really in my, into my life's work. But unfortunately, particularly in the eastern United States, in the areas of the richest farmland, a lot of those cultures were driven off their land and nothing was recorded. And just as languages were lost, some of the food traditions were lost and some of the plant knowledge was lost. And so recovering that is really tricky. You know, we're looking at archaeology, uh, what plants were found in archaeological sites. But we're also looking at uh, other cultures around the world that have maybe the closest living relatives of these plants. A lot of our plants in eastern North America have really close relatives in eastern Asia. And when we can look at the, you know, the, the Asian traditions of eating those plants, in fact, sometimes it's the very same species that are eaten. So that can help us fill in some of the gaps. And then just looking through old literature, sometimes there was information recorded that's hard to piece together unless you already know a lot about the plants. And so no one's really put it together which plants they were talking about in some of these older historical accounts. But you have pulled information from all those sources that you're talking about and put it together in this one amazing guide that does it all. I'm looking forward to using it for many years. I, I don't think I'll ever need another field guide. You don't need to write another one. I mean, gosh, 700 plants. Uh, I don't know how you did it all, but it's amazing. Well, I, I tried, and thank you, and I hope it works for you. Well, I'm sure it will. Well, before we let you go, advice for a newcomer whose head is swimming now, because we've been talking about cow parsnip and nettle and some other things that I've already forgotten. Where do you start if you just don't know anything, but you want to try some wild edible plants? Start with a plant that is familiar to you, something you see frequently, and figure out what it is. So you already know this plant. Maybe it's in your backyard, or maybe it's on uh, lines of street to your house. Learn what that plant is using this field guide or another source or from a trusted person. And after you learn what it is, learn if it's edible. So you start one plant, and you build your repertoire of wild edibles one plant at a time. Because if you learn one plant a month, over this summer, in just a few summers, you're going to have a dozen things that you can eat, and then you'll feel pretty good out there foraging. All right. Thank you so much for sharing some of your knowledge and some of your research, and I'm looking forward to using your book for many years, and I appreciate you spending some time with us today. All right. Well, thanks for having me on. It's always a pleasure. You bet. Sam Thayer is the author of Sam Thayer's Guide to Edible Wild Plants of Eastern and Central North America. You can buy it online on his website at foragersharvest.com. I'm Dan Small. You are listening to Outdoors Radio. For the nonprofit Ruffed Grouse Society, the well-being of the ruffed grouse and American woodcock is a special priority. 
But the Society's conservation work benefits more than just these two game birds. The organization's programs help a long list of other young forest wildlife, including songbirds that must have thick, brushy habitat to survive. For more information about forest wildlife habitat management, contact the Rough Grouse Society toll-free at 888-JOIN-RGS. Attention anglers, don't miss St. Croix Rod's annual Customer Appreciation Day on Saturday, June 17th in Park Falls, Wisconsin. St. Croix Rods is celebrating its 75th anniversary of handcrafting the best rods on earth, and you're invited to the party. Attend seminars with top St. Croix pros, get special pricing on retired or B-stock rods, and participate in hourly giveaways. It all happens live on Saturday, June 17th. See details at stcroixrodsfactorystore.com. Attention all anglers, stay ahead of the crowds with the most up-to-date and accurate fishing reports from around the region with OutdoorNews.com. Complete with lake maps and reports, gear reviews, and pro tips, it's the nation's top site for modern anglers. During the month of May, you can get 50% off any membership to OutdoorNews.com and never miss the best fishing info again. Just use the code MAY23 at checkout to instantly up your fishing game. Visit OutdoorNews.com today. Step outside, let us be your guide. Florence County, Wisconsin. Are you looking for that perfect Northwoods destination for outdoor recreation? Florence County has over 200,000 acres of unclouded public land with 160 plus miles of beautiful ATV UTV trails, many lakes and rivers to fish or paddle, seven wild river waterfalls to explore, horse trails with campgrounds, and friendly bars and restaurants. Go to exploreflorencecounty.com and plan your trip today. Flow has made world-class recreational and utility trailers for 40 years, and the industry-leading innovations keep on coming. Choose an all-aluminum UT model or Cargo Max, the only utility trailer with a molded polymer bed, integrated sides, and an engineered aluminum frame. With either one, you'll know you don't have just any old trailer. If a new trailer is on your mind, check out floeintl.com. Flow trailers, where the rubber meets the road. Castle Rock and Petenwell are two of Wisconsin's largest inland lakes. With more than 60 square miles of water, they offer four seasons of outdoor fun. Halfway between the Twin Cities and Chicago, and just minutes from Wisconsin Rapids and the Dells, you'll enjoy family-friendly resorts and campgrounds, great fishing, bike trails, county, state, and national parks, and the Nacita National Wildlife Refuge. Learn more at castlerock-petenwell.com or on Facebook at Castle Rock Petenwell Lakes Association. Welcome back to Outdoors Radio with Dan Small. Welcome back to Outdoors Radio. I'm Dan Small. We're brought to you by Cedar Lake Sales on Highway 33 West in West Bend and on the web at cedarlakesales.com. The folks at Cedar Lake Sales are gearing up for Walleye Weekend coming to Fond du Lac in June 9 through 11. They'll be offering free rides in Camus and Yarcraft boats on both Saturday and Sunday. And Crestliner is still offering up to $2,500 instant cash back on new Crestliner Fishhawk, Superhawk, and Visions models, and that goes on through May 29th. Check out the Cedar Lake Sales website or Facebook page for details. We're also brought to you by Ducks Unlimited, Proud sponsor of Outdoors Radio and Duck Hunters Everywhere. To learn more about the world's leader in wetlands conservation, visit ducks.org. 
And we're brought to you by the Castle Rock Petenwell Lakes Association, 60 square miles of fun on the water, castlerock-petenwell.com, and by Woodside Ranch Resort and Conference Center just east of Mauston on Highway 82, woodsideranch.com. Well, if our TV show Outdoor Wisconsin is not airing where you live now, you can watch past episodes at milwaukeepbs.org. And, of course, last year's Deer Hunt Wisconsin show and shows from recent years are archived on the Deer Hunt Wisconsin TV YouTube channel. And if you missed any dates, websites, or phone numbers we mentioned, you want to hear the show again, you can always listen online at lake-link.com slash radio. And our show is also available as a podcast on the new Outdoor News website, outdoornews.com slash podcast. You can find Jeff on social media at Hardwater Jeff and find me at Dan Small Outdoors. The Kenosha Sport Fishing and Conservation Association is holding its annual Kids Fish and Fun event this Saturday, May 20th. And for most listeners, that's today. The event is at Anderson Park in Kenosha, and it's free, and it'll run from 9 a.m. to noon, and it's open to kids 4 through 12 with an adult parent or guardian. Kids will receive complimentary rods and reels while supplies last, so better get there early. And as I mentioned earlier, I'm hosting another trip to Ballard's Black Island Resort on Lake of the Woods this fall. Now that Canada has opened back up to American visitors, it's easy to cross the border. The dates are September 11 through 15. We'll spend four nights on Black Island, and we'll have three days of guided fishing for walleyes, bass, northerns, muskies, panfish. Man, it's a great fishery. Guides, boats, bait, tackle, lodging, and all meals are included. We'll enjoy shore lunches of fresh walleyes that we catch every morning, plus great breakfasts and dinners at the lodge. The trip is limited to just 13 guests, including me and my son John, and it could fill fast. So give them a call if you're interested. The cost is $1,500 per person, and some folks from Stormy Cromer will be joining us on the trip, and they're bringing Stormy Cromer gifts for everyone on the trip. Visit blackisland.com to learn more or to reserve a spot. The deadline for sign-up is May 31st, so don't delay if you're interested. Our theme music is by Warren Nelson. If you're in the Washburn area this weekend, Warren and Friends' next concert is this Saturday, and that's today for most listeners, May 20th, at the Harborview Event Center in Washburn. For more upcoming events, visit warrennelson.com and click on the media page. I'm Dan Small. Jeff Kelm will be back next week. Get outside this weekend, folks, and be sure to join us again next week for Outdoors Radio. When the cool night swallows the moose's nose And the heron is fishing on one cold leg When the loon cries lover in the blue north wind I'll be trolling home to you When my wrist gets a little chilly On the gunnel When my lazy Ike is just Too lazy to lure When the worm 
go dry in the coffee can, honey. 